This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance, and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 11 in our series for 2018, and today's date is Friday, April the 27th. First, I talk to Olivier Pestel, Senior Director of Solutions Consulting and Business Development at Cornerstone On Demand. He'll be talking to us all about research that Cornerstone has done into the super skills the companies and employees will need in the not-too-distant future. And then I have a chat with AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver, looking at what's ahead in the market. But first, let's talk to Olivier Pestel. Olivier Pestel, I must ask you about your report on future skills and your report, uh, Future Skills Get Fit for What's Next. And uh, tell me about it. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm sure um, you've, you've read, there's been a lot of coverage in the press lately in Australia about how uh, the big four banks are addressing the future of works in their industry. So, um, it's all about to future-proof your business. Um, organization realize that technology uh, is impacting a lot of the people and the skills they have today. So let's make sure that you have the right people with the right skills at the right time, and that requires a lot of anticipation. Uh, it does happen. It does not happen overnight. So it's all about you know unlearning and relearning and upskilling. So the you know the, the genesis of that report is the, and the way 
the reason why we partner with the Institute for the Future is to have um, a view of what the skills of the future is going to be um, and allow our customers to you know, take benefit from that report and look at what programs and learning initiatives in particular they need to put in place. Well, obviously, these skills are very different from what's required now. Would that be the case? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, there's no point pretending that technology is not uh, affecting jobs, right? Um, and the view we look at it and the view uh, customers are taking that, you know, if I were to take a couple of examples, um, you know, I, I mentioned that that coverage that you know that was was taken by many um, many, uh, many many newspapers lately was uh, about NAB in Australia, right? Where they decided to uh, replace uh, 6,000 workers in the near future and hiring 2,000 workers that are technology specialists. Um, so you know the jobs are different. Uh, another example I'd like to share is that. One of our clients, Rio Tinto, um, going, they're going through a, you know, a massive transformation in how they operate the mines. Uh, and an example of that is that in the next two years, they estimate that half of the truck fleet will be driverless. You know, we talk about a lot about car, which don't have any drivers, but it's not just limited to cars. So trucks in the mines won't have any drivers. So uh, there's a lot of new jobs that will be required to maintain these trucks, the system that is on the trucks to make sure that they go at the right uh, where we need to go. So, yeah, in, in technology, impacting uh, jobs in, in pretty much any industries. Now, that's Rio Tinto you just referred to, but that would also apply yes. to other big miners as well. I'd imagine they'd be going down that direction as well. Yeah, yes. Um, so, yeah, it's no, no one is, uh, no one is uh, protected, if you like, or no one is not impacted. You know, another example I'd like to share is when you, when you think about healthcare, Things like you know drones and virtual reality. So all these advancements in automation are changing the way people are providing services, the way people are uh, managing their daily their daily work. So it's it's you know right, left, and center. So Vince, I guess it's really explain why this topic has the attention of uh, business leaders and politicians around the world. So. Um, you know, very early this year, there was the World Economic Forum, as, as happened every year in, in Davos, in Switzerland, and was announced an initiative called the Skill Set. And that's all the major IT and consulting firms getting together uh, and putting a program in place. And the aim of that program is to upskill up to one million workers uh, around the world in the IT industry. Uh, closer to us in, in, in Asia-Pacific, in India, uh, the Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, launched an initiative called Future Skills, designed to train 4 million work IT professionals in India. And that's, you know, the skills and the type of jobs goes from automotive, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning to automation. So it's all around the world. I guess it's all around the type of jobs. Um, some jobs are probably more affected than others, but I, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's there and it's, uh, it has to be taken into account from... Uh, any managers, any employees, any teacher, if you like. So tell us about these, what are some of these super skills that workers and learners will need to prepare for the emerging skills economy? Yeah, so the, uh, the report that I mentioned and that we've, uh, we've released with the uh, uh, Institute for the Future is, you know, raising a number of different skills that are really, um, really coming uh, up, up to front. Uh, 
The one which I wanted to probably comment a bit more uh, first is what we called befriend the machine. So I think we came to realization there's a lot of fear talking around robots, you know, replacing workers uh, and and trying to find a way to avoid that. But this, this, I mentioned before, there's no way and we cannot pretend that we can avoid that. So, you know, today people and machine are already working together. So it's looking at how we can make sure that, you know, we benefit from that. You know, the way that today automation is already providing a lot, a lot of help in many different jobs. Um, for example, if you think about the call centers, uh, the call centers jobs have been reshaped by chatbots and um, similar tools that provide and give some uh, uh, online support to anyone who is taking a call at the customers at the call center. So this concept of befriend the machine is a set of skills where people are not afraid and embrace new technology. So it's really setting, it's a set of skills that is, we call, we call digital fluency. Uh, it goes for understanding the, understanding the terminology that, of machine learning or artificial intelligence. So it's really setting uh, anyone to feel that they are um, technology savvy, if you like, and, and be, be willing to using the machines for the best of what they can provide. I'd imagine, too, that uh, workers, one skill workers will really need is to learn how to understand, communicate, and for that matter, repair artificial intelligence technologies. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, so some roles definitely, uh, depending on, on how much you are consuming this technology, whether you're at the forefront of designing and building this technology or you're just an end user and consuming it. Yeah, so I guess depending on the roles, you definitely have to build a stronger uh, set of skills to not just understand what the, what the technology, what the output of the technology is, but also what the tech, how the technology is built. Um, it was interesting, I was reading the other day, a list of roles that, you know, when I read the job role, the job title, you know, this is something that didn't exist even six or one year ago. Um, so, for example, I'm, I'm just going to share two of you, which I found quite interesting. One type of role which you can see emerging is called automotive, automotive occupant packaging engineer. So back to that example of driver, you know, a driver, uh, um, truck with a driver or car with a driver. So it's changing the way we think about cars. And, and this type of roles is about thinking about, okay, when you're not going to drive and you're not going to be behind the wheel, what are people going to do into a car? What's going to be the layout of the car, the design of the car? What, what can people change the entire concept and, relation, and, and interface of humans with cars? So that's an entire new type of role and job, and they're going to design what the technology will bring into that new uh, space, which will be the, the car of the future. So there's, there's plenty of type of you know, examples of that. You know, blockchain with this, that new technology, which is revolutionizing, uh, revolutionizing the finance industry. There's a lot of new roles in there as well, how to use cryptocurrencies and, and how the technology is leveraged uh, for this new kind of financial interfaces. So yeah, depending on the type of role, depending on the industries, you will have to learn not just how to use and take benefit, but also build the technology. Now, uh, the $64 question, and by the final question I must ask you is, what can organisational leaders do to start navigating this skills-based future? What should they actually do? Yeah, so, you know, as, as Cornerstone is a provider of learning, 
planning and, and development solutions. You know, we've been in uh, for the last 20 years uh, helping uh, organizations around the world, and, and uh, we have 335 million consumers of our solutions around the world. We see that there's an opportunity for leaders in organizations to really build a strategy around three three main elements. The one is that really design a culture of learning. It's all about creating that mindset that learning is no longer an activity that you do once in a while in a classroom with a teacher or an instructor. It's really designing a mindset of learning is lifelong, it's every day, and, and there's so many different sources of where you can learn um, from peers, from external sources, uh, from your learning development and department. So that's one. The second one is really to, to empower employees to take that initiative. People need to understand that you know, they have tools and they have access uh, to so many different so, uh, assets for them to make themselves the main actor of the, of the learning. And the third one is around content. Organizations are rethinking the content, how we consume learning, especially when you think about the influence of consumer sites like Netflix or Spotify, all this influence of outside of the corporate world in the corporate world. So deliver what we call fresh and modern content in the form of micro-learning videos that then consume anywhere, anytime on the mobile devices when, when I need it and when I have time. So this is really rethinking and impacting a lot of um, organization when it comes to thinking about how you uh, empower and, and train and learn your people. And so... In summary, uh, virtually every industry and every job will be impacted by th- all these technological changes. So the skills that we, uh, that we think make us successful today are not the ones we need for tomorrow. So we really need to equip ourselves with these skills for tomorrow. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, it's something that uh, is, uh, is never too late. But I think the message we see, and it's uh, more and more relevant, is to think about what my what are the skills I need to continue to progress in my career? So I need to have probably a, an understanding of what my career can look like, and from there you can build what your learning pathway should be. Well, Olivia, thank you very much for your time. It's been terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now let's speak to economist Shane Oliver. Shane Oliver, the earnings season in the US has been terrific, but there seem to be issues with tech stocks, and that's dragging down the markets. Why is this happening? Well, we have seen the US share market lift off its lows, which was around the time when the concerns about trade were most intense a few weeks ago. So that's good news. Um, But yes, there is a bit of pressure on the tech sector. I think what's happening in the tech sector is that uh, it's a case of having run too far too fast. It's been a a very strong outperformer over recent years. It was a key beneficiary of all the money printing in the US. Investors happily bought into it because they could see the e-commerce story taking off, you know, whether it's Facebook, Amazon, whatever. Um, And so it, it had a very strong level of demand But I think, as with all things, they can get pushed a bit too far. Now you're starting to see a bit of rotation away from tech into other parts of the market. So I don't necessarily see it as a big downer for for the overall market, particularly when US growth is strong, when uh, profit growth is good. I see the overall market managing to trend higher. um, But obviously there is a rotation away from tech to other parts of the US share market. Now, surely uh, there would also be concerns for investors about uh, regulators bringing in tougher rules following the Facebook uh, revelations. Yes, that's right. That's another factor, I think, weighing on tech, uh, particularly in relation to uh, to Facebook. Um, Tech sector has been an area of the market that did not see an increase in regulation 
post the uh, the GFC. Um, now it looks like that uh, relatively easy unregulated period is coming to an end and we'll probably see an increase in regulation going forward at a time when uh, regulation elsewhere in the US is starting to decline under President Trump, particularly financials. But more broadly, he has ushered in a period of deregulation, um, but that does not apply to the tech sector, which might see more regulation. So uh, that would be of concern for investors. Now, the other big issue, I think, for the US market is we can expect a lot of, well, volatility uh, in between now and the uh, midterm elections. That's right. I think the ride is going to remain rough in the US uh, midterm elections in November. Uh, between now and then, of course, we have to resolve these issues around trade. That's going to keep bubbling up. Donald Trump wants to uh, sound that he's you know, acting tough with people that he's told his base are ripping America off. So that's precisely what he's doing. Um, and, of course, uh, Mueller inquiry coming along and also the, the very real risk that uh, the Republicans will lose control of the lower house of Congress, the House of Representatives, um, which may lead to some concerns about you know, um, Donald Trump having less uh, power to get his agenda through, although I think at the end of the day he's done most of it anyway in terms of deregulation and tax cuts. Uh, but more broadly, investors might start thinking, well, if the Republicans are falling behind now, how are we going to go with the 2020 election? So that might cause a bit of nervousness as well. Flip side to all of this, though, um, is that the US economy looks pretty strong. Um, interest rates are heading up, and that's going to cause volatility, but they're still coming from a very low level. And in the meantime, the rest of the world is sort of doing OK, particularly now with the, uh, the, the value of the euro going back down again. That's going to help Europe. So I think the broad environment is OK. But it's just, going to, it's just that it's going to remain a more volatile environment than the one we got used to last year. What's, ex what's interesting, though, with the US stocks is that uh, the earnings figures have come in much higher than expected. So far, so good. Yeah, we're about 20% uh, of the way through in terms of reporting season. 85% you know, or so of stocks have exceeded expectations. Not as much on revenue this time, but obviously those tax cuts which started this year in the US are helping a lot, and that still has further to go as it plays out in the US. Big boost to US uh, capital expenditure or business investment from the instant asset write-off as well. So I think there's still more of a boost to come there, and as long as that profit growth remains solid, not as not the 20% plus that we're seeing at the moment, can't hang up that level forever, but as long as uh, those profit numbers remain good, then I think that does provide a degree of support for the US share market. Indeed, indeed. And so we can expect the US share market will continue to mosey up, uh, as it was. Uh, you know, there'll be, there'll be moments where it goes down, as it has uh, yesterday. But... Uh, notwithstanding the tech sector, will continue to rise? Yeah, we think the broad trend will remain up, um, but we're probably a bit more confident now on other parts of the market globally. Europe, uh, Japan, um, I think probably doing better. They've, they've been relative laggards uh, over the last year or so as the US dollar went down and their currencies went up, and that sort of uh, made it a bit tougher for their companies. Now you're seeing the US dollar starting to rise again, uh, that, I think, should make life a little bit easier for European shares and Japanese shares um, as we go forward. So I think, we'll, again, we'll see a bit of rotation globally away from the tech stocks towards other parts of the market, industrials, more value, traditional value type plays, but also globally away from the US to some degree towards other countries. Now, what, what's interesting, though, too, is that uh, the Japan and Europe have been pretty much laggards in the, in the markets, so they're, they're really coming back. 
Yeah, Japan and Europe certainly have been laggards. Uh, recently, we have been seeing uh, that those markets rebound a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, Europe a bit stronger than the US has been, which has been quite uh, good. But I think a big factor there is the uh, the US dollar, which uh, had been falling, and therefore the yen and the euro had gone up, um, and that's worked against um, those two economies and, and those two share markets. But now with the their currencies declining against the US dollar, that should actually help um, their share market. So I, th I think we're going to work through to relative outperformance by Europe, particularly, and also Japan. And of course, then there's China. Yeah, China is uh, always a subject of lots of debate. I, I think constant concern that it's about to, uh, to crash or collapse, worries about debt, worries about, uh, you know, how quickly they'll move down a path of deregulation or reforming their economy and whether that'll have a negative impact. Um, but I think for the time being, Chinese growth seems to be holding up pretty well. So far this year, it's off to a reasonably good start. Uh, growth hanging around at 6.8% year on year on the most recent numbers. Uh, business surveys suggesting that growth might slow a little bit, but we're only looking for a slowdown in growth to around 6.5%. So Chinese story remains a reasonably positive uh, one, um, and that in turn, I think, is relatively supportive of commodity prices. Right, and uh, speaking of commodity prices, that of course has an impact on the Australian economy. Now, where do you see the Australian market tracking? Well, I think for Australia, it's it's more of the same. I, I think we will end the year higher than we are at the moment um, as profit growth comes through and the Australian economy continues to, to grow. Um, but again, there are some constraints on the local economy, obviously issues around the banks, finance sector with the Royal Commission still underway and likely to continue for some time. Um, and overall growth, I think, will be relatively constrained, particularly given the issues around the Australian consumer in the face of softening house prices in Sydney and Melbourne. And uh, I, I guess that the um, continued weakness in wages growth. Now, we might get a bit of a boost in the budget. We'll probably get tax cuts announced in the budget. That might provide a bit of a help for the consumer. But overall, we're looking at growth sort of staying a bit below the 3% level which uh, is, is below potential in Australia and probably also not enough to get the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates anytime soon. So the Australian economy doing okay, but in profit terms, it will remain a relative lag compared to international markets. We're looking at 7% or so profit growth locally compared to around 14% or so internationally. And so um, our share market probably goes up by year end, but uh, again, a bit of volatility and a lag relative to global markets. The other issue too is that given the the position of the banks in the stock market, they, they have a big chunk of the stock market, uh, the revelations coming out of the Hain Royal Commission will affect those stocks and therefore will affect the market. Oh, there's no doubt that the Royal Commission will affect uh, the financials, and, or is affecting the financials, and uh, will affect the broader market. Um, that effect could be temporary, but I think the regulatory response that might follow um, might uh, might mean an ongoing effect um, on the market. And I think that the, the particular issue at the current point of time in terms of the market impact is the tightening we're seeing in bank lending standards. This, this had actually been talked about late last year from the bank regulator, um, and the focus there seems to be shifting away from sort of quantitative controls towards... Um, you know, ensuring that the banks and lenders look very hard at people's stated income and their stated expenses. 
um, and that tightening lending standards around income and expenses is likely to rule certain borrowers out, whereas a year ago they could have got a loan, now they might find it hard to get one. That in turn could have a bit of a, a bit further dampening impact on uh, house prices and also obviously on consumer spending um, as it gets a bit harder to get a loan in Australia. So that's another area to watch, but also just accentuates those risks around the Australian consumer. Well, Shane Oliver, it's been a real, real privilege talking to you and thank you very much for letting us know how the markets are going. It's been my pleasure, Leon. Thanks for having me on. So what's happening in the news? Well, Facebook has revealed for the first time its community standards policies and it's introduced an appeals process for content removal decisions. The move is part of an overall shift by the social media giant to become more transparent as it continues to fight to win back user trusts in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. The announcement came a day before Facebook was due to release its first quarter results and Facebook's CEO and founder, Mark Zuckerberg, will be forced to answer analysts' questions for the first time since the revelation that 87 million Facebook profiles were improperly shared with political consulting and research firm Cambridge Analytica and used by the Trump campaign in the lead-up to the last US election. Now, community standards policies provide insights into which posts Facebook deems to be inappropriate or otherwise. Previously, the social media giant had only provided a high-level overview of its policies without giving enough information of an individual to accurately determine what posts would or would not be removed. As part of Facebook's decision to introduce appeals for content removal, the company is doubling the number of people who work on safety issues from 10,000 to 20,000 by the end of this year. And while it bolsters its workforce, it's launching the appeals process for certain categories, including bullying, violence, nudity, sexual activity and hate speech. This will then be extended to other categories. Earlier this month, Mrs Zuckerberg testified before US Senate and the House of Representatives for 10 hours and he faced grilling from nearly 100 members of the US Congress over their concerns about Facebook's privacy policies in relation to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Now to Australia. And inflationary pressures in Australia remain weak. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, headline price inflation, CPI, rose by 0.4% in the three months to March, missing forecasts for a larger increase of 0.5%. And that left annual CPI steady at 1.9%, one-tenth below the level expected, and also well below the Reserve Bank's target band of 2 to 3%. Now, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull says in hindsight it would have been better for the government to have set up a Banking Royal Commission two years ago. Mr Turnbull and his senior colleagues spent the past two years arguing against holding a Royal Commission into the financial sector, although some of his backbenchers were campaigning vigorously for a Royal Commission to be held. The PM finally called the Royal Commission late last year and the shocking revelations have emerged as it's been taking evidence. Mr Turnbull has taken responsibility for not calling the formal inquiry earlier. He said, politically, all of the commentators are right when they say we should, have, we should have been right to establish one earlier. He said that to reporters overnight while on a visit to Germany. And his position is at odds with Financial Services Minister Kelly O'Dwyer, who repeatedly refused to acknowledge the inquiry should have been established earlier. Now, One Nation leader Pauline Hanson says the banks should not get any tax cut following the revelations that came out last week at the Hain Royal Commission. She says the money 
should instead be diverted into a compensation fund for victims and for future bank bailouts. Senator Hansen had previously agreed to support the government's enterprise tax plan, so her new stance will cast doubt on Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull's signature economic legislation. She said the banks should pay for their misconduct with the money, which Labor puts at $13.2 billion to 2027-28, going into a fund for people who claim they've been cheated by the lenders. And her demand coincides with Opposition Leader Bill Shorten demanding the government establish a compensation scheme for victims of banking misconduct. And again, this demand by the One Nation leader, who had previously agreed to support the government's enterprise tax plan, will jeopardise Malcolm Turnbull's signature economic reform. And the head of the consumer watchdog believes penalties of hundreds of millions of dollars for financial misconduct would prevent banks seeing the fines as a cost of doing business. Australian Competition and Consumer Commission Chairman Rod Sims says the Financial Services Royal Commission is hearing from bankers who say they want to do the right thing, but that would affect their profits and share price. Let's change the equation, he said. Let's say you actually have to factor in hundreds of millions of dollars of fines to what you're doing every day. So it actually does matter to the bottom line if you're caught breaching the Act. That's what he told ABC Radio. He's backing changes announced by the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, on Friday of fines of up to 10% of annual turnover for corporations or 10 years behind bars for individuals found guilty of misconduct in the finance sector. Now, the big four banks and AMP are under growing pressure from shareholders and other stakeholders following the revelations of wrongdoing revealed at the Royal Commission into Financial Services. The unions are pushing industry funds to reconsider their relationship with the banks, and a peak superannuation body wants the board of directors of AMP to take responsibility or face a shareholder backlash. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus has written to the CEOs of industry superannuation funds, asking them to reconsider their relationships with what she calls dodgy banks in the wake of the scandals uncovered by the Banking Royal Commission. In a letter sent to fund CEOs, McManus says the outrageous and illegal behaviour uncovered by the Royal Commission, which includes charging dead people for non-existing financial advice, deliberately dudding clients, ignoring covering up fraud, leading people to financial ruin, lying to corporate regulator ASIC, and charging the wrong interest rates, are just too bad to be believed, and something has to be done. Industry superannuation funds control the retirement savings of millions of Australians worth a combined $590 billion. And the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors has warned AMP that it will advise funds to vote against the re-election of directors and potentially reject its top executives' pay packets unless AMP shows that it's become more accountable. And also, Slater and Gordon has partnered with litigation fund Ethereum to investigate class action against AMP following the revelations of misconduct in the Financial Services Royal Commission. The proposed class action is focused on potential allegations that AMP breached its continuous disclosure obligations between the 28th of May 2015 and the 13th of April 2018, and that caused investors who acquired shares during this period to suffer loss. Also, Victoria's gambling regulator and police are investigating additional allegations of poker machine tampering at Melbourne's Crown Casino. It comes after the independent MP Andrew Wilkie showed journalists pics, he said, were given to a former high roller at the casino, allegedly used to let the woman play multiple machines at the same time. The Victorian Commission for Gambling and Liquor Regulation confirmed it had met with the Hobart-based politician and would look at the evidence he provided. This included the pics 
with the Crown Casino logo on them, which were allegedly squeezed down beside various poker machine buttons to keep them playing. Wilkie added he had written to Victoria Police Chief Commissioner Graham Aston about the allegations. And in a statement, Victoria Police confirmed it had received a letter from the politician and would assess to determine whether a crime had occurred and whether it should be referred to the regulator. Now, the Commission in March warned Crown it might have broken the law over machine tampering allegations made public by Mr Wilkie. Now, Meyer has appointed former UK department stores boss John King as its new chief executive. Mr King has 30 years of experience in the retail sector and he led the UK chain House of Fraser from 2006 to 2014 when it was sold to Chinese conglomerate Sampower. Now, Mr King replaces Richard Umbers, who was forced to quit in February after failing to turn Meyer's fortunes around in the three years he was a troubled retailer's CEO. And Vitamins company Blackmores has acquired a $43 million tablet and soft gel capsule-making plant in Melbourne from US giant Catalint to gain more control over its supply chain after frustrations with supply shortages for some products. The acquisition was announced as Blackmore's also revealed that its sales into China were below expectations because of supply constraints and the impact of renegotiations of trading terms with customers. But its Australian business made market share gains, strengthening its hold as a number one brand in the Australian market. Blackmore's lifted net profit after tax by 18% to $17.4 million in the three months to March 31st, with net profit after tax up 19% to $51.6 million for the first nine months of 2017-18. And finally, Fortescue Metals Group exported less iron ore than expected in the three months to March 31st and has been forced to raise its unit cost guidance for fiscal 2018. The miner shipped 38.7 million tonnes of iron ore in the March quarter, which was its weakest quarterly export result since the June quarter of 2014. The weak result was caused by cyclone activity and some planned maintenance. And that means Fortescue is now behind the pace required to meet its target of exporting 170 million tonnes in fiscal 2018. The result was weaker weaker than the 40.5 million tonnes that Fortescue shipped during the December quarter that was interrupted by unplanned maintenance and dramatically weaker than the 44 million tonnes shipped in the three months of September 30th, 2017. And that's it for this week. And next week, we've got a fantastic interview with Jeremy Duffield. He's a chairman of SuperEd, a fintech startup, which is aimed to give Australians a better retirement. In the meantime, you can keep up with me on Twitter at TalkingBizBZZ or on Facebook. Take care and looking forward to talking to you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 